Hi, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural Quintessential Lacrosse podcast. I'm Quinn Kesnick, joined by Chris Cotter today, and we hope to provide you with uh, opinion, analysis, storytelling, some uh, access. We want to have some fun and celebrate the game, the players, the fans, and certainly we want to serve the fans. Cotter, here we are. It's mid-February. You're in the ATL. I'm in the 410. Uh, how, how do you kind of describe what, what, what it's been like uh, as we've turned the page into the season? Yeah, I mean, it's been cool. It's been fun to watch, and it's going to get even more fun this week with the Ivy starting. I think, we, you know, Notre Dame always starts late, so we get them this week. But it's just been kind of – it's been better because last year you think about, you know, yeah, there was so many question marks coming in. We didn't have the Ivy, and, and you had teams that didn't get to practice. You had the situation with teams like – like Hopkins with a new coach and he hadn't even seen his players in person yet. So we kind of had more crazy stuff last year. This year, it's, even though it's not even close to being normal, we're a lot closer to normal than we were last year. So I think we're seeing kind of more like true lacrosse and more competitive as, as every team has had pretty much the same by and large preparation coming into the year. So I think it's been a better February. And Q, we've talked about it, that like the, the schedule's great this February. I mean, there's so many great non-conference games. Usually we've got to wait till March for some of those, but we're getting them in February. Yeah, I felt like last year we were kind of walking on eggshells. Like we had a game, yeah. we were so joyous, we were so thankful that we're actually playing lacrosse, but we're holding our breaths every week. Like there's a game on my schedule. I hope it goes. Oh my gosh, it goes. And, and you're just hoping... And then we tied together some weeks and, and eventually built some confidence. Uh, we we got, got some things that we've discussed maybe talking about. I want to start with Jacksonville. Uh, we covered the Dolphins in that first week of February. And, and, and they, they become a big story this month. You know, here they are out of the SoCon. They upset Duke. Uh, you know, they dominated that game. If you watch it and it's available on YouTube, they, they really took the action to the Blue Devils. Uh, from start to finish, they were the better team that day. Um, you know, and, and, and certainly deserve, uh, deserve to be ranked accordingly. What, what's your biggest takeaway about the trend where we're seeing high points, Richmond's teams like uh, Jacksonville now uh, a step up and, and get things done? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, I think it's two things. Number one, well, it's the growth of the game for sure. I mean, the, the schools in the South are playing lacrosse. Their club is better. Uh, there a lot more kids are, are coming up North. Uh, to play at schools. I mean, you saw with you see with Malaver at, at uh, Maryland, he's from Georgia. Uh, the Solomon brothers, you know, Nikki now is at North Carolina. You and I have North Carolina, Ohio State this week. You got James Gurr, who's from, uh, you know, big public school in Metro Atlanta, and Ari Allen, both of them midfielders, new midfielders for Coach Myers. They're from Atlanta. So I think the growth of the game in the South is huge. It's a big part of it where these SOCON teams now are getting better lacrosse players. I feel like they've always had good athletes, right, Hugh? Like, they've always had kids that played football and, and wrestled and did other things in high school and, and maybe chose lacrosse at the college level rather than playing FCS football or something like that. And now I think the skill is kind of, kind of you know, per permeating these teams a little bit more. But I also think they have a chip on their shoulders. I think there are kids that, you know, maybe wanted to play at North Carolina or Duke and they didn't get an opportunity. And they know all these kids that are going up there or Max Waldbaum is a great example who played at Tufts. Now he gets an opportunity to play D1. And he's like, look, I'm as good as all these other guys. And I'm going to show them when I go to Durham. Or I'm going to show them when I go to Chapel Hill that I can play with them. And if you heard uh, some of the post game in the locker room, I saw some of that with Jacksonville and yeah. Coach Galloway. 
he was like, this is, this is nothing flukish about this. This is man on man. We beat them because we're better than they are, you know? And I think yeah, that's, no, those, those and, kids have that. We saw that in, in, in stages of their, their loss at Hopkins. There were moments in that game where you're like, wow, Jackson, Jacksonville, if they play well, they can win this game. Uh, they did not play well enough that day to win the game. But I give John Galloway a lot of credit. Uh, and, and I give Richmond, Dan Shamati, and High Point, uh, John Torpy, a lot of credit for, for scheduling these games. Uh, I, I think it's really attractive for the student athletes to play against ACC rivals, to travel to Baltimore and play Hopkins. So Galloway deserves a lot of credit in his sixth year. You mentioned, you know, it's a big roster. They, they're represented by 19 states. You know, their Fogo, Nathan Cap, who's played, well, he's from Wisconsin. Uh, and, but, but the transfer portal, you know, we, we see the transfer portal. Galloway's used it well. And I think Rutgers has set the, set the standard in terms of transfer portal. We see it in other sports, like it's gone out of style. And, and no one really looks at it uh, w w anything but opportunity. And I think Galloway and Rutgers, uh, Brian Brecht, are the two that have really seized it for lacrosse. Yeah. And you got to do it right, too. Don't you think? Because... Like yeah. Wallbaum's a good yeah. example. He he was he comes in and, and you know Clark made a good point. Like, what does it say when a kid comes in and he gets to put the C on his jersey right away? And Max Wallbaum's a team captain. You know, he comes in and he yeah. immediately is a leader. There there are you could say there's a negative about it. You could be like, why why aren't there senior leaders or guys who have been there four or five years that already have that C? So a new guy wouldn't be able to take it. But then you could also say Galloway did a good job of going out and finding a player that fit so well within the culture of the team that he could come in and be a captain. And that's, I think that's been, is going to be the biggest challenge for coach Brecht at Rutgers. Looks like it's, you know, so far so good. Um, you know, the, the schedule gets tougher. I guess he's got army coming up and, you know, things are going to get tougher for him, but how do you make sure that all these new pieces that you bring in can assimilate with the team and can make you better, you know, right away. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, anytime you bring in a transfer, you're potentially you're inviting a, a new guest to dinner with your family. Uh, and, you know, if if and when it doesn't work, it can get pretty ugly in the locker room. I uh, last thing I want to finish up with with on Jacksonville. They bounced back on Tuesday and beat your Mercer Bears. I'm not sure if that game was uh, in Atlanta or not. But you know, the Duval mission, you know, John Galloway telling us that the core beliefs of that program fearless. Yeah, they've shown that you go to Durham and you, and you went on the road earned. They've done that now prepared uh certainly they were prepared in both the games that we watched this year and, and respected would be the last and they're earning respect uh so so mission accomplished uh, i have nothing but positives to say about this program they're not even fully funded cotter they're they're, they're not even fully up up, up to 12.6 scholarships that's amazing you know they the galloway talked about too you know he's been there six years and he talked about how you know, I wanted him when we did their game, we were talking to him that week. I wanted him to give me a story about how the coaches were in a double wide trailer, you know, when he first got there and he was like, we weren't, we didn't even have a double wide trailer. We had to, our coaches offices were in dorm rooms that weren't being used. It's crazy. And they had to go themselves. I mean, could you see Galloway at home Depot? We had to go buy paint so we could paint a little room to, to make that the lockers. And then they had, they went to home Depot and, bought some lockers that they built underneath the stands. So the, the, the guys would come out of the game and go under the stands and kind of have their team meetings there at halftime. It's wild how programs can be built, but it must make it that much more satisfying to start from nothing and to be able to go on the road and beat Duke. And that's going to be, you know, you talk about some of these conference tournaments, Q, that conference tournament is going to be awesome because now oh, yeah. joining High Point in Richmond is, is, you know, a Jacksonville team. 
those three teams are going to be battling this year. It's going to be a fun conference to watch. Yeah, no, I love I love everything about the SoCon. Uh, you know, last weekend featured – I love the schedule last weekend, Connor, because you had like a Friday game that was viewable. Saturday was spread out, and then there was some Sunday action. So I found myself – I got to watch a lot of lacrosse. I watched the Maryland-Loyola game. I saw High Point, Virginia. I saw some Duke-Jacksonville. Yeah. It was like a steady – a nice – steady sprinkling more like college football and I, and I wish our weekends wish teams wouldn't stack everything on Saturday at, at, at one o'clock uh, this weekend we have Ohio State at North Carolina ACC Network at three o'clock in a game uh, you know Ohio State's coming off a poor year last year they're four and seven but the more I analyze and we haven't talked to coaches yet the more I analyze this game I really think the Buckeyes have a shot here to stand toe-to-toe with, with, with the heels a lot's gonna have to do with you think about the face-off X, too. Anasio has been awesome. I mean, like he's winning like 89% of his draws. And again, yeah. it gets tougher this week against Carolina. But, you know, Tucci's been hurt. I, I know he played some last week. And we're going to have to get from Brescia on, on exactly how well he's doing. But they went with the freshman at times last week. So let's see how that goes. Because that's going to play a big role in not letting, like, for, for example, like Carolina vault his vaunted offense. They're not going to be able to go on runs if Anasio is winning draws and getting the ball back to Ohio State. You know what I'm saying? So that'll keep yeah. them in the game. So I agree with you in that regard. And, and Kate and Johnson back in goal. That's kind of interesting, too. Back in Chapel Hill, he's going to have to play really well, and he has to start the year. Let's see if that continues. Yeah, these are two programs that have typically scrimmaged together in the Michael Bresci uh, fall event. Uh, obviously, Joe Bresci coached at Ohio State. He's tight with Nick Myers. The, the, these programs have always kind of been, they've always meshed and they've always yeah. gotten so well. So it's interesting to see them play a non-conference game. It's a big game. Ohio State's got a tough schedule coming up. Obviously, Carolina in the ACC. Caden Johnson. I'm, I'm interested in watching Bobby Van Buren, the, the freshman defender from Wingate, North Carolina, homeschooled. Uh, will they match him up with Chris Gray? And if so, what's that going to look like? The other matchup in this game that may favor the Buckeyes is their attack. Okay, Jack Myers, Colby Smith, and Jason Knox. All 6'2", 6'4", 6'4", going against an inexperienced defense. Uh, you know, you got, what, a freshman, two freshmen and a sophomore. You've got another uh, walk-on senior for Carolina. And I think Carolina is a little vulnerable at the close defensive position. You did their game against Richmond when you were talking to Bresci. Yeah. How banged up are those defenders for Carolina? Are they all still out? Are those long-term injuries or are those short-term things? I think that Morris and Lawhead may be a little more on the short-term side. I think Evan Egan may be a little long on the long-term side, but but they were not uh, throwing dates at us or, or yeah. any kind of thing. How about yeah. Jason Knox, too? Like, I mean, I'm really – I didn't get a chance to see anything he did at Hobart. You still get a chance to see Hobart very often, but he's really come onto the scene. He seems to be – you know, Colby Smith was injured, missed all of last year. So that chemistry between those three guys with Knox, Smith, and Myers can make you're, – you're right – can make Ohio State completely different offensively. And then you mentioned Van Buren. I mentioned Gurr and Allen already. Young players in that midfield. Let's see how all of these new pieces kind of come to play for Ohio State. They, they could be a completely different team this year. Yes. No, I, I, I think they are a different team. There's snippets of their video I caught against uh, Cleveland State that centers around the faceoffs. You know, there's like 10 faceoffs online. You watch it on YouTube. And then Nacio just went in the clamps uh, and then occasionally popping it out front. They scored a couple goals off of faceoffs as well. But four and seven last year were the Buckeyes. 
I, I think they're sitting on a much stronger season. And last thing I, I'm, a, uh, you know, I'm afraid quick, to ask, I'm, too, I'm afraid yeah. to ask Myers about Michigan. He gets so <laughs> upset. I mean, I we're talking to Myers tomorrow. They've lost to Michigan. Now, Michigan has ended their season the last two full seasons. I, I, I did the 19 game where Michigan won in Ann Arbor against Ohio State, and Trey LeClaire was suspended in that game, something off the field. That prevented Ohio State from going to the Big Ten tournament because they only had four teams back then. And then last year, they lose in the quarters in the Big Ten. So two, the last two full seasons, their seasons have ended in losses to Michigan. That, yeah. you know, that's, that's like three years. That's eating at you if you're a Coach Myers. Well, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that later in the season. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, Chris Gray of North Carolina, the more I watch him play, uh, it's it just incredible. I, I got a text during the game uh, last week when they were playing Richmond from Mark Millen, who said, you know, uh, Chris Gray reminds me of, of Michael Watson. And to me, what Chris Gray, it's amazing. Like he's hunting, he hunts the right play. You know, he doesn't hunt points necessarily, but you look at his, his playmaking to turnover ratio and it's just amazing. There's so few mistakes, Chris. And then there's yeah. like a creative flair. I, I watching the Super Bowl with, with, with Stafford throwing some of those no looks and his ability to read coverage as it develops. Yeah. Spatial awareness. Chris Gray has that same spatial awareness as a lacrosse player. Like he sees the parts moving and then he projects where they're going to be by the time the ball gets to, to the certain spot. That long diagonal pass that, that cleared yeah. the defender's head by about an inch, right? It cleared yeah. the sticks by about an inch and was just so perfectly right into the cross. I think it was uh, Kelly who scored on it. I mean, that was so, that was like Wayne Gretzky-esque. In the yes. fact that he saw it, and then the, the the pass had to be perfect, and it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah. To to to, to the spatial awareness that a quarterback yeah. or Gretzky has to to just forecast uh, where everybody's going to be. I you know last night I I was texting with uh, Jerry Byrne and Yale coach Andy Shea, and Andy Shea sent me a link from a it, it's available on YouTube, but it's a captain speech from Brian Tevlin this year. I was, I was trying to get a feel for what it's been like for them and what this week means to these Ivy league teams. And I, I know like we're not supposed to be fans, but I think for this weekend, like my heart's with the Ivy league this weekend. Uh, I can't imagine what those young men have been through. It's been over a thousand days for most of those programs since they played right. in the game, March, 2020 uh, Yale hosting Villanova, you know, Penn, Penn against Georgetown and Franklin field. Cornell, Albany, Dartmouth plays on uh, Mary Mac, Harvard, NJIT, and Princeton, uh, Monmouth. But the emotion that I sense that exists with those teams is something like we haven't really seen. I, you know, I think they're going to run out of the tunnel. I think there'll be tears. I think the parents will be, you know, chills. Uh, yeah. I, I can't imagine what it's been like for those young men and, and how that's going to impact what we see on the field. Yeah, and it's it's seems like so much has happened since that beginning of 2020 when they were having the best year the the that that the Ivy League has ever had in lacrosse ever. I mean, they had the potential to send three teams to championship weekend. They were that good, and so now this many years later, Q, there's two things. To your point, the emotion is going to be unbelievable. Will it be too much? You know, who's who can harness that emotion and still play? With, with a sound mind at the start of a game, especially when you're Penn playing Georgetown, you can be down eight to one before you even realize it. If you come out there and you get away from your game because you're too emotional and jacked up about playing. Uh, and the second thing is, you know, all these teams, I feel like they have one guy or two guys that, you know, like Hanley and Gerger at Penn, 
and you know uh you have tevlin at um with the brandow at yale there's like one or two guys but the rest of it is still a big mystery to all of us because they lost so many of those stars that we knew two years ago so who who are some of these teams i think Maybe you and Clark might know them a little bit better than others because you followed them in high school a little bit more. But I still think there's a big mystery as to who who's going to be the big stars for these teams. I agree. I mean, in, in Yale's case, what you have two classes who have never played up a Division One varsity game. That's half right. your team. Chris and, Baker's you know, still there, but other than that, there's like a lot of guys who are not there. Yeah, and and you know, with those the the loss of reps, you know, the loss of games, the loss of practices, you know, how much development. Uh, has been stunted, uh, and 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 we'll find out. It was certainly a, a great day, though. A day, uh, you know. I'm I'm just so happy for, for for the families and and the kids. They've been through so much, so they, they deserve to be celebrated this weekend. I, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned uh, Sunday we got Maryland going up to the dome, uh, Syracuse, and they're going to uh, unveil a, a Roy Simmons uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, you were up in the dome a couple times this year for football, correct? Yeah, we were. We were. Uh, Mark Hertzlick and I did a game. We had him a couple of times and we had one game up there during fall ball, actually um, late September. And we visited with uh, uh, Coach Gate and Coach Petro and the team. That was really cool because, uh, you know, Petro was there and, you know, he was talking to Mark and Petro recruited Mark. Mark's from Philadelphia area and was a great lacrosse player at a private school there in Philadelphia. His dad is actually a lacrosse coach. And Mark committed early to Hopkins and then Petro said he went to go watch him because he knew he was still considering football, went to go watch a high school football game. And Mark was playing on both ways, obviously small school he was playing fullback. And Petro said he just ran through the other team, like, like a man, man against boys. And he was like, I know this, <laughs> this guy's not playing lacrosse at the next level. He is a freak. And he was, cause Mark, think about how big Mark Kerslick is. He was that big as a junior in high school. He was that big. Wow. He grew I mean, so fast yeah. and he's massive. Yeah. And no, so he was dominating presence. kids. Uh, you know, he, he showed up uh, to, uh, and you were there in the ACC, ACC title game in Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, when Wake played Pitt, Mark was there being, being honored uh, and, and obviously working the ACC shows. And I walked by him and I'm just like, man, that guy, that guy played lacrosse. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, he was an hard, attack man. There's a, there's a physical presence of an NFL player that I don't think many lacrosse yeah. people really quite understand. No, I mean, it just, you know, a lot of times when cats stop playing, you know, the bigger NFL players get smaller because they have to work so hard to stay big. Like linemen, that, like guys be working like Jeff Saturday and stuff, they actually get smaller because they just can't, they have to work to keep that weight on all their yeah. lives while they're playing. And then some of the smaller players get bigger because they stop with the diets and they, they, they just blow up. Hertzlick, his must like his calves are the size of my head. You know, I'm jealous of those calves. Like his, the way he's put together, it's like, you're going to look like that when you're 75 years old. It's, he's just an amazing athlete and still yeah. is to this day. And he's still going to stay that way. But yeah, it was fun to, he addressed the team and, you know, he talked about his cancer, his surviving cancer and everything like that. It was really a cool cool moment to have the, the entire Syracuse team kind of really glued to Herzlick in that story. Cause it's, it's, he should have died. I mean, if you don't know Mark's story about surviving cancer while he was at Boston college, you know, his legs started hurting him and he thought it was something, you know, just whatever cramps or, or, you know, muscle pulls. Then he goes for a, an x-ray. He showed me the x-ray. I'm telling you Q it looked like he had cotton balls in, in his entire leg. That was the cancer in his leg. 
they thought he was going to die and they thought for 100% they were going to have to amputate the leg. So think wow. about that. He's like a sophomore in college. We're going to have to amputate your leg. He says, nope, I want chemo. And he almost died from the chemo. If you saw pictures of him in chemo, he looked terrible. But he survived that. And then he goes on to play in the NFL. It's, 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 it's a, so, you know, when he tells that story, every, every year is, is tuned in. That's for sure. Amazing. Uh, and, and the Mohawk gives him that edge uh, that, that, that I love so much. You know, I, I was at, uh, I was at Clemson Cotter this football season. Like every game I look at, like there's going to be some hidden value and it's not always the game. Maybe it's seeing a coach that I haven't seen for three or four years yeah. or going to a city that I can go on a special run or like I try to find a hidden meaning in, in every event we cover because if it's just the game, as you know, you know, it's kind of transactional. So, so I'm always looking for that bigger meaning. I was at Clemson. We had had our production meeting. I think it was a night game. They were, they were playing, uh, excuse me, they were playing Florida State. They were hosting Florida State. And I worked out and I was just going for like a jog walk, some, something just to get my mind right, midday. And from behind me, Chase says, hey, Quinn, hey, Quinn. And I look over and I'm like, oh, here comes a crazy fan, man. This is, this is not going to be good. I'm like, but this guy's recognizing me in Clemson, South Carolina. Well, he goes, Quinn, John Gordon, John Gordon. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's John Gordon. You know, author, motivational speaker, former lacrosse player. So we end up going for a walk that lasted over an hour. It was the most amazing hour of, of, of that, I, I, that I've had with a person uh, like, like John, where we were talking about Clemson. Uh, he was there to speak to the team later in the day. That was at a time where injuries were, were, were dropping them. They had lost some ball games. People were asking questions uh, and, and, and we talked about culture. Uh, you know, we related it to a lot of his lacrosse experiences at Cornell. Uh, you know, how Cornell has George Boyardi and that that's become the standard culturally for that program. A hard hat 21, a book he wrote. Uh, it was just the most fascinating, fascinating time. You know, and I think the thing that the, the takeaway for me was he said every team writes their own story and setbacks are commas. They're not periods. And so while Clemson lost those games, their story was not written yet. And so as an athlete, I think you, you always have to keep in mind, you always have a chance to continue to write your story. Uh, and, and they ended up finishing off the season uh, in, in, in really, really fine fashion. Uh, yeah. going, to the, going to the bowl game and, and, and dominating and, and, and putting the period the right way on their sentence. And in some respects, you could look at, and I know it's very common for Donowski to have a tough start. I mean, Donowski's teams start tough and they start games tough. Like, you know, it takes them a quarter here in February to get going. Uh, you know, I saw that last week, even against Manhattan. They were down after a quarter against Manhattan. And you kind of got a feeling like they're just not all there yet. And that showed up last week. But they, they certainly can and have in the past, you know, turn things around but they, they they I think there's a little chemistry issue there and maybe you get that a lot with them and they have such great talent and great coaching that they solve it but I feel like they're, they're they played a little uninspired in, in the yeah. game I had against Manhattan and in the end their talent was just so much better that they won the game they couldn't do that against Jacksonville so they've got to figure out to me anyways how to and maybe it's leadership I don't know maybe JT Giles Harris not being there and you just don't have it just hasn't come together yet for them yeah, there's two points there. I, I think find their identity. I'm not sure what their playing identity is. I'm not sure what their leadership component identity is. As you said, I didn't see an eye of the tiger. I didn't see a sense of urgency. Uh, 
and then the other thing is like learning from a loss. Losses are good if you if you learn from them. And, and we'll, as we look at this weekend, like teams coming back from a loss, it's Loyola and Hopkins, you know, both yeah. coming back for a loss. Neither and Loyola, didn't, Loyola yeah. didn't look very good. I don't no, think they, they looked very good. It's not the end of the world, though. Again, it's February. It's, it's how you answer that belt. You know, do they improve their midfield defense? Do they make some adjustments on O for Johns yeah. Hopkins? Uh, can they avoid the turnovers? Can Hopkins get some more production from the midfielder? So I, I, I never want to overreact to February losses. It, it's almost as if they've, you've, they've just exposed like, you know, hey, you got to work on uh, Cotter. You know, your, your calf races aren't up to par here. You, you know? <laughs> so you put in the time, right? Like you acknowledge as a team, you've got to acknowledge, hey, we got to get better at faceoffs. Yeah, and I looked at, you know, last week, Virginia had the scare at high point, right? If they hadn't had that scare, I had circled this game this week at Towson. I mean, they're playing at Johnny Unitas as a game that Maryland could have lost. Not that Towson could, he goes toe-to-toe, position for position with almost anybody at Virginia. But the fact, to your point, is that in early season, sometimes you're still working on some things. There's a lot of chemistry issues. You just haven't played games. And games are so important that, you know, sometimes it just takes four, five, six games before you really start to find things. And, you know, Kostanowski, to his credit, said, look, I like playing these Friday, Sunday games and the first two weeks of the year, Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, because we need games. We need to yeah. work on we need to work on game situations that we don't get a chance to do all year long. You know, Mar- Maryland played so well against Loyola and in the second quarter, they, they scored 10 goals on 14 possessions, the shooting and passing. I've never seen shooting and passing in February like what like Maryland showed in that game. But as you just said, this is a long march. We got 15 weeks to championship weekend. That's as long as an NFL season. Think about that. And and Maryland just delivered this peak performance. Like, you know, from a slope standpoint, are they going to continue to play at this level all season long? Is that possible? Are they that good? Maybe they are. But you know, typical growth that we see is, is a, is a build across that slope. Uh, yeah. You know, that, that was, I, I was blown away by what I saw from Maryland. Uh, that, that just really caught my eye. And also some teams, you know, need to get knocked down a peg, even if, you know, nobody wants to lose, but maybe you close game to high point for Virginia. Maybe that's like, Hey guys, you're not going to come in here and two time defending national champs and win every game, you know, and you're not even close to being ready to compete in the ACC yet. So here's a tough game. Get your head screwed on right, and let's work on some things. A couple other games worth mentioning. Army and Rutgers is a really good one. Two different styles there. Army wants to play D, and Brendan Nickturn had a, had a boatload of points in their opener. And Rutgers is running. They're really fun to watch this year. And it benefits them, as I said in my poll, I think it benefits Rutgers to run and create a 100-shot game. Why? Because they got Colin Kirst in the net. And if one goalie sees 50 and Rutgers sees 50, Rutgers is going to win every game. Because he's the right. best goalie. That, that's what I was going to ask you. If you have, like, you got to have the right goalie on the back end of that, right? Because it's yes. all. It's, and face you know, off. Right. And face right. Yeah. So you can go, keep that you go back to Go back to Brown in, in uh, what is it, 16 or 17 with Will Garral and Kelly in the nets and how that formula of playing fast just feeds your two, your possession machine that's a face off and, and, and your difference maker in the goal. Because he's going to see a lot of, you know, transition opportunities for the other team, that goalie. He's going to see a lot of two-on-ones, transitions. He's going to have to make big saves. And then he's also going to have to be good on the clear, right? Because you, 
you're, you're getting right back. It's almost like you think of Paul Westhead and uh, those Lakers and Nuggets teams. As soon as you get the rebound, you're hauling ass down the other end. It's like back and forth, back and forth. There's no passing around and, you know, side to side. It's not side to side. It's front to back. <laughs> no. And Rutgers is funny that, you know, there's a highlight. I was watching Hopkins to get prepared for our game earlier this year. And when Hopkins played Rutgers last year in the Big Ten tournament, there was there was a, a, a scenario where Hopkins drove from the wing to the middle of the field on offense. The slide man knew he was, wasn't going to get to the shooter on time. He just continued to break out up the field. <laughs> yeah, just and in I, case. As almost just to play hangman saying, you know what? I can't get to the shooter. So I'm just going to keep running up the court, so to speak. It was, it was so uh, great. So. Yeah, that's right. I can't get to the shooter. So I'll leave that to cursed curse. You make the save and hit me right at midfield. I'll be in full stride. That's right. That's right. Uh, Duke, Denver, Virginia Towson. You mentioned Georgetown uh, and Franklin field, Sam Hanley's debut uh, Yale host and Nova should be a lot of emotion. Also, you know, Joe Sy and, and that wonderful facility, uh, up in New Haven. And then Sunday, I think it's ACC Network Extra, uh, Maryland, Syracuse. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Katie Rowan and Gary Gate, retirement of their jerseys. This is the number 22 going to be packed up in mothballs here. Uh, and of course, uh, Roy Simmons Jr. in the Ring of Honor. Our final segment, Cotter, we got some questions from Twitter. A couple of them right. are actually I like. Uh, I'm going to start with one. I'm going to take one. Does Notre Dame have the toughest schedule uh, it's hard to predict uh i think the math says that loyola has the toughest schedule non-conference oh, really? as they played maryland they play johns hopkins uh and i believe they play someone else out of the big 10 uh next week you know ohio state schedules uh, not easy non-conference playing carolina cornell and notre dame and denver uh, yeah hopkins was brutal too when we did hopkins, hopkins i looked at their schedule i was like my god look they're playing everybody before they even get to the big 10 Maryland is brutal. Uh, here's a question from TLAX1 for you. It's a good one. It says, why does Chris Cotter never go into the weight room for uh, lacrosse teams on visits? Is he, is he afraid that he will embarrass the team? <laughs> no, I'm afraid of the other way around. I mean, have you seen Sisselberger and Petey LaSalle? You know, Sisselberger puts out the video of him squatting a million pounds, and then Petey LaSalle goes, like, look, I'm, a, I'm the best, I'm the best face off guy in the country. I'm also the strongest in the weight room. Watch this start stacking some plates. So those two guys what have a numbers are we dealing with? You, you, you can do the math better than I can. Cause I, I don't go past two plates. What are we dealing with? Four plates, five plates. Yeah. I mean, they're a little different, you know, cause the bumper plates are all the same size and just different widths. So to figure it out, but you could, yeah, four or five plates easy. I mean, the bar is definitely bending on the neck for both of those guys when they're squatting and then the whole team's around cheering them. So like to answer your question, I don't want any piece of that. I don't want to get yeah. in there and have guys stacking plates for me and say, okay, Cotter, put the belt on. It's your turn to go underneath that bar. I might be like, eh, my old knees might, uh, might not uh, manage to make it on the other side quite as well as yours did. Cotter back uh, challenges of broadcasting a game from home versus live. Wow. I mean, what are they? You, I mean, for me, it's, you can't see the whole field. It's really hard to see the whole field. And some sports are different than others. Baseball is really hard because you got to see, you know, the balls in the outfit, but you got to see the base paths and everything going on here with, you know, usually you're looking at it in the corner of your eye for that. And lacrosse is similar. Lacrosse, sometimes you have long clearing plays or where you can't really see where, where the action's going. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, yeah. Can't see flags a lot of times or, or what the penalty was. Was somebody offside? I couldn't see. If I was there, I could see. Yes, 42 was offside over here. And then I think the last thing, Q, you and I both have talked about this a lot, the energy. I mean, we feed off the energy in a big crowd, a big game. And when you're not there, you just don't have that to feed off of. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on that. Uh, no for question. me, like our setup at home is we, we have our the, the program on a, a gigantic, beautiful monitor. And then we have a smaller four box, let's say, on a computer screen of the different camera angles, which with my eyesight, I don't really use very often. So for me, the hardest thing as an analyst is it, you don't get to see the sub box. Like during a game, my eyes are on the sub box to see which units coming on the field. Mm -hmm. uh, if a player disappears during the course of a game, I have no idea what's going on. Like, right. uh, so, so Cotter's running first midfield uh, for Georgia Tech. And all of a sudden, Cotter's not out there. Okay, is, is he in the doghouse? Did he get benched? Did he have to go to the bathroom? Is he getting his ankle retaped? Or is he fixing his stick? Like, I don't know. Uh, and and yeah. so that's sometimes I'm left like, where did Cotter go? Thank uh, you, know. goalie change. Sometimes yeah. there'll be a goalie change. We can't see unless the camera's on that goal. I can't see that. So sometimes it'll be like, oh, wait a minute. Ohio State just made a goalie change. We didn't even know that. And maybe a minute and a half later, we can tell you at home, yeah, they made a change. Last thing is, what are your thoughts, Chris? You know, uh, growing up in Colorado and living in the ATL now, what are your thoughts on the evolution of youth lacrosse uh, over high school-based programs? That is travel teams, costs, uh, may, perhaps becoming less accessible. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, too, it's the importance of those teams now where now parents feel that they have to foot that bill. Do you, does that make sense? Whereas maybe it was less important before and now it's becoming more and more important. So we have to do this. So the parents get together beginning of the season and they, they chart it out and they look at the budgets and we have to do this for so-and-so. Otherwise, he's going to get left behind his development isn't going to be as great as it was. So, it, it, and I think that does, as you try to grow the game and you go into areas where maybe parents aren't used to that, you know, in the North, in Minnesota, you're used to that with hockey. Hockey is extremely expensive sport to play. So if your kids want to play lacrosse and it's the same thing, you're kind of like, you're used to that. But in a lot of the areas of the South, you don't have that expense. And now all of a sudden, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a much bigger deal than we thought it was going to be. So I think that has an impact on some of these neighborhoods and communities where these kids are and they're in public schools. And now it's, it's limiting their ability to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, in the sport. I completely agree. Uh, completely agree. I, I'm a in big favor of rec league programs versus clubs. Uh, and, and when you have 10 rec league programs, maybe in a zip code, That'll that'll ultimately feed a club as as the kids get yeah. older. You know, uh, rec the leagues, rec leagues are the rec leagues too are getting so much better down here though too. And when you have coaches like like Zilberti coming down here and coaching in high school, and then that that filters down to junior high and elementary school kids. Those programs, local programs that feed into the high school, those coaches want that to work, and that's what they develop. Yeah, and and and, and that's critical. And then then obviously high school, uh, you know, the focus being you know, uh, high school programs across the country, adding lacrosse and getting, getting qual quality coaches to where uh, an athlete can get recruited from his high school team, not just from a traveling club. Right. And I, think, I think that way we attract better athletes. We attract more, more multi-sport athletes. You'll convince the basketball player to come out and play for the high school team, play with his friends. You'll convince the, the, the football running back to come out and try lacrosse in ninth grade. 
Uh, do, you, do you know, like when I first moved here to Georgia in the early 80s from Colorado, you know, Colorado has always had good high school across. It's sort of like the oasis and the, the barren wasteland west of the Appalachian Mountains. But I started playing there. I moved here to Georgia, junior in high school, no lacrosse teams in the entire state, not a single one. Nobody played lacrosse. Nobody even knew what it was. Zero. Even in, even in zero. Even in 2005, I called some high school games here in Georgia. We had six lacrosse teams in 2005, all the big private schools, and they would go to play Brentwood Academy in Tennessee and Charlotte Country Day. Those are the only games they could get. In 15 years now, I come back here. There are over 80 high schools playing lacrosse in Georgia. Almost every big public school and all the private schools are playing lacrosse. It's so awesome to see, but in just that short period of time, that's 15 years. It's gone yeah. from nothing to everybody playing. Imagine what it's going to be in the next 15 years. Yeah, and John Galloway telling us that it's tripled in, in, in Florida uh, in, in the last decade. And, and so, you know, the growth we're seeing in North Carolina, South Carolina, at, uh, Georgia, and, and then Florida to me is, is uh, it's fun. Yeah. It's huge. Awesome. And, and we're seeing the guys on Saturday. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Cotter, thanks for your time, man. I'll see, uh, we, we got us some prep to do tomorrow. We're talking to both coaches, uh, Joe Bresci and Nick Myers. And then you can catch us uh, 3 o'clock. ACC Network uh, live, the Buckeyes yeah. uh, in Chapel Hill. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a game where, you know, North Carolina, they're going to button things up on the defensive bank because the Buckeyes are coming. They're one of the more improved teams this year, I think.